0: hello and welcome to the Protector Nation podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to making the world a better place, making the world a safer place by making good people dangerous. In this podcast, we're going to study and understand what it takes to protect, to protect your family, to protect your loved ones, because we all know that you have a few basic needs, food, water, and shelter. But You also have the need to protect those things. In a world and society where evil runs rampant and is sometimes left unchecked, learning how to protect yourselves and your loved ones is becoming more and more important. And so we strive to raise the level of accountability to those who would do evil on this planet by making sure that the sheep, that the flock, is more well-versed in protecting themselves and their loved ones. If that sounds interesting to you, then sit back and enjoy the show. Out. Boom! Yo, what's going on, you guys? Byron Rogers here we are kicking this bad boy off if you guys can hear me uh, shoot me a quick shoot me a quick seven in the comments I'm just making sure Mike is on his way in right now shoot me a quick seven in the comments if you guys can hear me yo let's go yeah here comes everybody Man, it has been a crazy day on my end. We are, uh, I've been looking forward to this, honestly. Mike's been an awesome guy I'm glad I'm connected with. So um, I can't wait to kick this thing off. And this is live, so you guys are getting the real deal to get you in. Boom. Okay. So, boom, what's up? Hey, hey, who do we got? So where is everybody from? I'd love to know how far-reaching everybody is. We got 777. uh we got steve usmc kevin okay everyone's good to go we got ohio texas florida new york man there's so many on i can't even pa utah columbia north carolina wow florida texas everybody's on the call man that's awesome i can't wait to get into this stuff we got some um Okay, sweet. So Mike's on his way in right now. Man, Tampa, Chicago, Indiana. Wow, we got another seven, California, Texas, Brazil in the house. That's what's up. Yo, that is outstanding. I heard, you know, we've got a few hundred people on here with us today. We're going to talk about a number of different preparedness things uh, around, you know, just what it takes, what, what we're seeing in the world, man. And You guys know with Mike's background, it's going to be huge. Uh, since Mike's not here, for those of you who aren't familiar with myself, I'll go into my background real quick. I'm an executive protection professional. I've been in the executive protection game for a hot minute um, since 2008. Let's see here. Da-da-da-da-da. OK. OK, stand by. Here he comes. So I've been in the executive protection game since 2008. Um, Conducted operations in over 60 different countries. own a boutique private security company out here. Now I mentor and coach people trying to get into the private sector, into executive protection through my uh, my school called the Executive Protection Training Day, uh, which is the way to get into the League of Executive Protection Specialists. Um, And uh, so that's one of the main things I do in the EP industry. I've got another podcast called the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. Um, and um, also rolling out something called the Protector Nation, which is all about civilians and, and, and helping civilians, anyone of any background learn how to protect themselves. It's amazing to see you guys up on here. Let's see here, let me make sure. Okay, make sure Mike is good to go. You know, you gotta have a few little technical difficulties. Uh, da, 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 da. There. Yeah, uh, should be in your email. So, yeah, so, you know, people work with me through the training day success package um, and you'll get links to all that stuff, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And then the other podcast, executiveprotectionlifestyle.com, Marine Corps background, Infantry Marine, O-351, Anti-Tank assault Um, And um, now I host live events and, and then organize training for people. So uh, it's an honor to, to be here hanging with you guys. Get your questions ready. We're going to roll out the questions at the end of the call, just making sure Mike gets in here. First, we're going to run through some questions. we got a pretty sweet itinerary of questions to go uh, to run through. So get those questions ready. When you do have a question, toss them over. What's up, Byron Todd? What's up, Byron? How are you doing, brother? I've been doing good, man. Private security industry has been doing good. Um, Amcon, SoCal, man, we got everybody out here, man. Yeah, it's an honor to do this podcast. Michael, thanks for saying that. You know, I'm excited about Amcon and what Mike's doing. Okay, he's in the room. All right, sweet. So we should have him coming through soon. Okay, with the link you gave me, perfect. All right, let me make sure, see if my tech guy can add him as a, with the link you sent. <laughs> okay, perfect. Hey, brother. So Mike says he's in the room. Uh, I think he used the uh, join link. Is there a way to add him from the congregation? Mike Glover. Okay, let's see what we got here. All right, so I'm going to hang up with you, Mike, and uh, hit me if you need me. Um so yeah my industry things have been doing good private security industry's been been growing and blowing up with re- with regards to everything going on in the world so uh certain aspects of it have been shutting down you know anything that's gathering centric no love man it's been it's been rough anything that's like family centric vip centric has been doing pretty good Utah Group says hello AC1 i'm just looking at these comments that we have over here <laughs> it's not land nav John Wesley it's tech nav at this point man you know it's the tech nav this this platform is sweet because it lets us have a meeting and hang with you guys uh, and read you guys's comments but it's also very uh, you know it can be a little confusing uh, to hop on Amcon Ohio in the house Byron AC1 is Mike got you AC1 is my alpha charlie one mike if you're looking for mike it's he's under Alpha charlie one oh 321 in the house that's what's up god bless you too william good to see you good to see you up in here man heck yeah always glad to be on the same team with those dudes man byron i'm doing your global summit 2.0 online very interesting uh i gain lots of new uh Tradecraft. Yeah, that's really good to hear, man, Um, because, Mark, we just had the Protector Symposium 2.0, which was civilian-centric protection strategies. It's all online. AC1 his call sign. Uh, And basically, we had, um, you know, a number of big instructors come in and teach, you know, what they know on protection. Uh, We had Ed, Ed Calderon talk about the Mexican connection. Um, And he actually got to talk about, you know, how to stay off the radar and things like that. Uh, We had Yusuf Adu come in and uh, talk about uh, behavioral profiling. Saying everyone focuses on hard skills a lot, you know, but the reality of this game is the protection game, you know, protecting yourself and your family. There's so much work you can do up here. There's so much. Most of the the work is done with your mind. Uh, Let me just bring you and so much of the work is done with your mind and so with the protector symposium concept it's like what types of conversations can you have with people um, that can help them improve their protection iq you know and then to be able to do that from the comfort of your own home be able to press pause you know uh i think it's it's really the learning uh of the future it's the way of the future with regards to learning Um, You know, being able to, you know, you learn from somebody that's such a wealth of knowledge to not being able to. Okay, so let's see here. Mike's not finding AC1 as a participant in the call. I don't see it here either. Um, Let's see. Can you use link and email? just sent we're gonna get this figured out here in a minute one or two more minutes we'll get mike in here hold on one second oh all right mike's in the chat popping off skywalker mike glover is in the chat (laughs) okay russ see no video i'm going to make a drink This is hilarious. Yeah, this Red That's what's up. It'll be good once we get going. Uh no worries at all. Sweet. All right. So good to go. So uh da da da, da da da. You guys got any questions? Anything you want to bounce off me in the time being. Da da da. Yes, I haven't had a video under cover Mike Glover. Yeah, he's in here. A video, audio. Okay. I am, I'm coming through clear. I think real Mike Glover, please stand up. (laughs) What's that? Okay. Good to go. Well, Byron, let's see here. Interested in the field of executive protection. Mark, I got your question here. Of executive protection, can you please give me three important points when meeting your principal? or getting a contract with company in the future. Uh, When you're meeting your principal, first most important point is be authentic. People have been trying to get in good with, you know, your principal, whoever that is, billionaire, such and such um, forever. So you've got to be authentic. The second one that people make a big mistake on uh, is is, um, you need to be sensitive. A lot of people, get in front of a principal, a high powered person. And they try to like, they want that person to uh, respect them. So they just start talking about themselves and selling themselves and trying to be, you know, as BA and legit as they are, they can, and they want to show all their good sides. It's not necessarily coming from a place of arrogance. They just don't realize that the quickest way to gain rapport is to be other people centric you know and so with my industry what you learn a lot is social dynamics are everything and really that's it with business social dynamics are absolutely everything so um in any business what you're doing is creating relationships so when you're first meeting a client you know your biggest pitfall the biggest like trap is trying to get them to like you which means you need to learn how to be authentic uh with high-powered people and then uh, so the, the sooner you can do that and the more often you can do that Um, the more naturally your relationship's going to develop. Uh, The second thing is, um, you know, uh, make sure you're making space for them to talk, trying to get them to talk, learning about them, focusing on them. Um, And then the third thing is just do what you do like you know what you're doing, but be ready to change the second you hear something needs to change, if in fact it's not going to put them at risk. Um, you got to understand that every principle that you roll with is a different person. So it's a whole different look. It's a whole different principle. It's a whole different world essentially. So you may have been on a security detail where you're a rock star flying around in jets, you're in hotels and stuff. Um, But uh, you get to a new detail and you're just like, you have to open up your mind so that you realize it's a whole new world and you don't know anything. You know how to do the job, but you know how to do the job in a way that's going to help you survive. In that world, so you've got to be able to constantly empty the cup and fill it with new stuff. Let's see here, Byron. How do you get from law enforcement and military to work on the same team when you have people? <laughs> this is a good question, Todd. Uh, people uh, with egos and that are not EP. Let's see, it keeps moving, and you you deal with the whole EPLE issues. So one of the main things I focus on in my training day. Uh, product when I train and mentor guys is social dynamics and creating a corporate culture. What's creating a culture in your detail that's going to lead to success for the team. So uh, you begin getting those guys to work together by serving them and leading by example. And you need to essentially, essentially uh, create an environment that's based on cooperation, not competition. So I got whole modules on this, but the short the short side of it is you need to get everyone on your team to realize that everyone is safer if every one of you guys looks good and every one of you guys uh, wins. And then you need to get them to accentuate, always accentuate their strengths, um, accentuate the military guy's strengths, accentuate the uh, law enforcement side strength. But talk about how they're different. Like there shouldn't be no like... Um, There should be enough communication in the environment to where it's like, hey, you know, military guys are great with this. They suck at that, tell them to their face. Law enforcement guys are great with this, they suck at that. And this is why I like to have both of you. But you need to get everyone to realize that everyone makes money longer and everyone survives in the EP game longer if you guys are protecting each other, making each other look good. If the client gives a compliment, you deflect it to the team. Byron, you did a great job today. Hey, you know what, I couldn't have done this without the team. They need to see you doing things like that, and then you need to tell them why you're doing things like that. Well, because if the team's strong, uh, it's more stable for all of us because then the client can single out one of us and eliminate one of us. It's not survival of the fittest. It's elimination of the weakest. You, You watch the Discovery Channel. It's always elimination of the weakest, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? The survival of the fittest thing, like. You know, you could starve to death, you know, uh, out there in the game trying to be the strong man. But if you learn how to create a sophisticated and strong pack, like what Michael Lover is doing with Amcon, that's where the real safety is. And so helping them realize those principles is how they get them to realize like you can be as selfish as you want. But if you want to do good, you'll be here safer, longer if you can keep the team healthy. So we create a team centric culture within the executive protection detail. Um, you know, you know, and then I go into all the principles for doing that. You know, uh, let's see here. And the great question, Todd, I appreciate that. Byron, can you uh, reconnect? Okay. Oh, here he is. Thanks, man. Right. Bo, what's up, brother? Good to see you, man.
1: Oh, uh, Byron, you hear me?
0: I got you loud Byron. and clear, brother. I got you, man.
1: <laughs> Dude,
0: the technical gauntlet, bro. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah,
1: man. And then we
0: kept missing each other. It was like, you know, we came in to get you and then you were in the the chat. It was just one of those back and forth things, man. I just knew eventually it was going to work itself out. So we're just sitting here talking.
1: Yeah. So it works on a desktop, the mobile. I try to do it on mobile because it's easier to move
0: around, but it's the desktop that had it spread away. That's true, man. I've never done this on mobile before, so... That's special. probably exactly what that was. But, and nonetheless, brother, without any further ado, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for spending this time with us and doing this with me, man. It's good to oh, have
1: you on, yeah, man. It's, it's, a, it's an honor, man. You're an awesome dude who's a subject
0: matter expert. I like, I like talking to experts. <laughs> well, I, thank you. Thank you. I guess that's happened. And you obviously, you're the man as well, man. So, uh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Um, and your experience, bro. Yeah, yeah, I I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a bunch of stuff from you as well, man. And I'm excited about what you're doing with Amcon. That I appreciate, it, man. It's a it's a
1: everyday yeah. grind with Amcon, man. It's a, it's it's the most purpose I've found in
0: this space. So it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah, no, I know that feeling, and it and it's a drive. You know, when I was out there with you guys, I could see, I could just see your passion. I could see that you genuinely believed what you were doing, and in what you were doing enough to just like literally put it together and pull the trigger it felt like i was like yo oh, my yeah. dude's moving on this because oh, yeah. the sense of urgency uh um, yeah. just so you can see everything happening you know and i know that feeling it's like nah man we're just gonna jump build a parachute on the way so that's
1: yeah absolutely man it's all that rigging rig down like rig rig midair on the way to the target
0: Heck yeah. That's what's up. So we'll jump right into the questions. We'll run through these questions and then uh, folks that have uh, auxiliary questions, we'll just pick a few of those off at the end and see where the conversation goes, brother, man. Cool. Solid. So opening question I always like to ask is really, who are you at your core? You know, who who is Mike Glover? Oh, man, that's a, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, Diving in deep, man. We're going deep. All yeah, sudden,
1: and I think at the core, of who I am is uh, a man. Like I could, I probably couldn't say that ten years ago, twenty years ago, because I, I felt like a child, an infant. Mm. Uh, but I'm figuring it out now, and it's been 40 years figuring it out. I to say a man who's purpose-driven and focused on making sure other people don't make the same mistakes. That I've made, that teammates of mine have made, that industries and institutions that I've worked in have made, and then uh, I guess setting people up for success so they can succeed in, in that, whatever that means. That's preparedness. That's that's mindset.
0: That's uh, that's business. Whatever it may may mean. No, I dig that. I find a lot of the guys, a lot and gals that I end up running in these circles with are just they're like empowerment type humans. Like they're like all about empowering people. Like however we say it, it's like, now nah, I'm yeah. trying to set people up to be able to, you know, dot, 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 dot. Uh, yeah. and I think that's one of the greatest ways to contribute. So that's awesome, man. What would you say? Um, you're talking about, you, you mentioned purpose a number of times. This is one of my most passionate and like serious topics. Um, What would you say about finding purpose? You know, because like you're at 40, you know, and you're like, man, I can really, you know, say that maybe this is it. You know, and I'm sitting here and I finally with some of my projects, there's like one of them where I'm like, man, if this is the thing I do with my life with the Protector Nation, I'm like this. You know what? I think this might be the space. I think this might be it. You know, what would you say about finding purpose? And like, what was that journey kind of like? You know, what would you want people to know about that? Yeah, I think, I think
1: purpose for me is the third phase of my life. I, I don't, I think people who try to get involved in in just business and um, military, whatever it may be, whatever that career space is, people want to jump in and they immediately want to get that sense of purpose. And I don't think my life evolved that way. I think the first portion of my life, which was which, which was mainly my adolescence, was learning. You know, like you, you definitely learn as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. Um uh-huh. and and you make a lot of mistakes. I, I think uh-huh. the phase of my life was sacrifice because it wasn't about me. It was about my country, about uh you know my teammates. And I, uh-huh. I was involved. Like it's weird because I feel like this phase of my life is self-promoting. It's very egotistical. I feel very egotistical yeah. I because I, I, I feel weird saying the word "I." I mm-hmm. feel weird saying um telling my story. Mm-hmm. But second phase of my life, that's all I lived was serving others. Mm-hmm. And 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 when I when I transitioned out of that in the military service and then, uh, serving my teammates, serving my country, serving. Uh, the, the military, I, I got a lot of purpose out of what I did, but I didn't seek purpose. Purpose just found me. And uh-huh. then in the third phase, purpose is what I look for. It's what I strive for because uh-huh. it, it's very easy to get back. It's very easy to uh, try to be successful, but it's hard to find something that you're purpose driven, especially when you've sacrificed and without thinking about purpose, it just came. So now I have to find that purpose. And I, I think that that journey has, has taken me here. But I don't think, just like I don't think an expert becomes an expert because he's technically proficient, uh, experts become experts because they have a real life made of mistakes that, that where they were technically improficient and made a lot of mistakes. And now it's coming full circle, right? And so mm-hmm. that journey coming, you know, standing in my shoes today is, is a 40-year journey because um now I seek it deliberately, but mm-hmm. I feel like I
0: found it. I also feel like I've earned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. Man, I love I love listening to you, bro, because it's like in order to be the man, you gotta become the man. And there's just no way around it. Like yeah. you like may not realize it, but like if you're if you're applying yourself, this kind of natural maturation process comes, you know, and it's like you can't if you're applying yourself deliberately and evolving intelligently, you know, and you're, and you're continuing, it's like something happens. Um, I find that purpose adds boundaries and gravity to your life. That is just, it's like another love, you know, it's like, I found another like love of my life that can add, you know, um, meaning and things like this. Uh, fun is like, fun is like, fun is like, like inconsequential, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, um, and yep. so I, I always, whenever I hear someone talking about that, I'm trying to help people quantify it. Cause it's elusive. It's like, uh, it's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most valuable things, but it's something that if more people had, man, they could live such higher quality lives and you don't just get it. Like you have to like court it and like earn it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's awesome to hear you kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, especially that it came after a kind of a phase of life of giving, you know? Because you, I think through that giving, you probably gain enough value in yourself to then be able to really make higher quality contributions, and then be able to do all the stuff you're able to do now. Maybe.
1: Yeah, you're you're spot on because I think, you know, I I think people in general because we are so immersed in this experience where we have instant gratifications, mm-hmm. they fall in love with the idea of falling in love, right? So we, we yes. want the we want the gateway, but we're not interested in the commitment long term. And right. and, and you know, in the military, we should call those tactical placements Like Mike, when I had a special forces detachment, my guys were very young, very motivated, and wanted um, to get work done. And I get right. that, but they didn't want to sit in the same positions for periods of time because they would get bored. And that that's figuratively and and even literally as. My snipers sat in their in their in their hides, but mm-hmm. I, what I want people to understand is, you know, to find focus, to go through this journey, which I think is the, the end state of happiness. Right? It's not right. The, It's not this pinnacle of success where you stand on a stage on a mountaintop at the top of your game. I, I think it's the process that I'm fascinated with, and it's the process that I, that makes me happy. Then you'll realize that no one definitive thing is going to give you purpose it's the journey it's affecting people's lives on a micro scale it's it's being involved in your own life and having confidence like you said so many people so many people hold themselves in low esteem because we are our own worst enemies we like looking at ourselves in the mirror and beating ourselves up and that takes a lot of lessons learned you know some a lot of people don't learn that experience And they fail, or they quit on themselves, or they Mm -hmm. commit suicide, or they have mental health issues. But it's like you said, it starts with you as an individual. It starts with building confidence through through experiences, which don't just mean win. It just means it means scaling by the time. Exactly, it's it's the resilience. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, that confidence comes from experience. Confidence is self trust and. Self trust comes from experience. I, I love that. And arrogance is inaccurate confidence. Yeah, Absolutely. man. It's, yeah, it's good stuff, brother. What would you say your mission is these days? Oh man, I mean, I have I have multiple mission sets. I
1: think ready? the biggest <laughs> one for me, <laughs> the biggest mission for me, is making sure people are ready for the in- inevitable. I think the, the disaster preparedness and catastrophe preparedness is my number one priority for. Whether it's my company or even talking and communicating to people, because you know I tell people like uh, a a characteristic of democracy and freedom is often complacency, and, and that's not that doesn't have to be a bad thing. That just happens to be the circumstance in which you live in a pattern of life where you're not experiencing massive trauma or disasters. Right. Um, and, and you know if you live in a third world country that. It's the opposite because you're conditioned to catastrophe and so you're desensitized to it. So there has to be a balance. And I think striking the balance is just being more, uh, having better aptitude and preparedness and mindset and understanding the, the neurological and physical processes and Mm -hmm. just being present as opposed to being, you know, in your device. or being immersed uh, everywhere besides the moment. And that's, I, I, wake up every day with that kind of sense of purpose to, to constantly communicate in various forms of, of trying to put
0: get that across to people yeah no that's awesome it's like there's a central direction but then you have these different mission sets that kind of are different places on the spectrum of executing on really helping yeah. people be prepared mine's yeah. security so like everything i'm doing is protection centric it's like oh be willing capable prepared be you know teaching private security operators how to be more, you know, better agents. So it's kind of, it's, it's a very interesting, most people do one thing really good and that's generally what I'm taught to do. But uh, I find you to be that, that rare animal, man, that you do, you're able to execute on a lot. And I think that's awesome because I'm the same way. And I'm like, Oh, well maybe I'm not wrong. You know, (laughs) like maybe this isn't isn't crazy. Maybe we're just Southpaw, (laughs) you know, Um, that's good to go, man. Uh, what would you say your biggest takeaway is from special forces? Was from uh, think, your time in the special forces?
1: Yeah, I think the, the biggest takeaway is the exposure to a culmination of many experiences in 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 these austere uh, and and often traumatic environments. Mm-hmm. If there's that, if, uh, if there's a neurological process that takes place. The same neurological that they take, uh, process that takes place when they're lost in the woods is the same experience that you get when you go camping, uh, when you go to unfamiliar areas, when you travel abroad, where you have all these things taking place in your in, in your bloodstream, chemically. And after that's done, you grow from that experience. You build this callus, you build this uh, understanding of the world around you. And, and what I tell people is that's often good in training, that's often good in deliberate practice. But in special operations, I was forced to live that life. And so if you accumulate 15 years in special operations, going to war a whole bunch, uh, being overseas, a whole bunch, training and cycles, a whole bunch, then that overall experience is kind of what led me to the point I am today. And, and, and I don't think I would be
0: who I am without, without those experiences. Awesome. Yeah. It's like um, maybe it built some type of a fluid intelligence kind of to where you're inoculated to like the trauma, the changes, the Burrows of life, you know, as Jordan Peterson would say, chaos, (laughs) you know, Um, it's a different type of intelligence, you know, that's that's good stuff. And then I guess for people that aren't familiar with you, if there are any on there, you want to just go into your tactical background a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, sure. So I started off, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in a military family. My uh, my dad was in the Army. My uncle was in the Navy. Um, so I was always playing tactical, whatever. So transitioning as a young kid and then going into the infantry at 17, it was an easy transition for me. I, I, didn't, I never felt like I was working. Um, three years in the infantry, uh, you know, infantrymen, get a whole bunch of stuff that I could do, uh, you know, airborne school, ranger school, all the basic infantry stuff. And then right after nine 11, I went to you know, special operations. Uh, I became a green beret and from the beginnings of the global war on terror, until I got out of the military in 2016, you know, I spent a lot of time overseas, a lot of time in different positions, I, mean, I was a sniper i was an assaulter i was a breacher i was a joint terminal air controller of jtac yeah. um i was a team sergeant i was a free fall jump master um you know i was a sergeant major i did a whole bunch of full spectrum things from being the dude with the gun to being in charge of the dudes with guns to being in charge of a whole company of dudes with guns um and then and then after that i decided to do some contracting so i contracted with the cia and kind of did what you did in a, a hybrid sense where i, I acted as a, a protection officer for the cia protecting case officers in wartime and you know and from you know non-permissive to semi-permissive environments and you know it's known as a, a grs Global the response staff office and we had a lot of great experiences in the, in the few years that i was there did, did about six seven rotations the various places all over the world and then in 2016 i decided i was going to start this company and commit to it full-time i think my last trip was Pakistan and then uh came back from that and then committed to survival my company full-time sweet
0: awesome man that's a ridiculous amount of, that's that's an awesome wealth of experience man that's that's yeah
1: amazing. seems like a different life right it's a, it's almost yeah. like a a different I, I i can't even i have different little phases in my life but yeah it's, it's so far away from the position i'm
0: sitting at now yeah no i feel the same way about even parts of my executive protection career you know like uh even the marine corps it's like it was another life ago and then it's like i tell you you tell a story and it's like you know what happened but like did it really happen sometimes <laughs> you know what i mean it's like a trip and, and it's and you're like, man, and I just and then you deal with everything, and you're like, that was just fine with me at the time. Yeah, I guess it was just fine, you know. We just powered through. You know, it's crazy stuff. What would you say is your biggest takeaway from your time, you know, doing the CIA stuff? You know, it's it's weird,
1: but um when people ask me when I train in the background in which I train from. Mm. Is it social operations? But most often people think it's social operations. So they think yeah. what I'm teaching school, what I'm teaching with mindset comes from social operations. Right. And, and a lot of it does, but the the agency taught me that in these worlds of operating and doing counterterrorism, counterinsurgency, you don't have a lot of support in the CIA. I mean mm. when I was in when I was in Yemen, for example, I didn't have anybody. It was me. It was often me and another guy with lot 17 machine guns in the truck. And we lived in an environment that was go wrong rapidly. Wow. And often I tell people in my classes, it's like you, you literally could be in America, could be free, not exposed to anything. And then all of a sudden, you're exposed to significant catastrophes. That could be a vehicle accident. That could be a gunfight. That could be whatever. So, uh, I found the CIA experience to be most often the reference for when I teach individuals to be their own first response. Because mm-hmm. when I was in the military, a quick reaction force of rangers was thirty minutes away. Yeah, uh, my teammates. Yeah, were, my teammates were co-located. I had air stacked up to the to the stone cars uh that provided air support for us but when you're a civilian a citizen in the united states of america or you know working abroad or living abroad you are literally your own first response and and that that experience taught me that
0: man that's sweet that's awesome um that's such an important mentality for people to like come from when they're like living their lives uh yeah man what would you say what skills translate from your time doing counterterrorism work, terrorism work, over into civilian life, if any?
1: Yeah, I think a lot, like
0: a lot. Of, yeah, I think a lot of it translated,
1: um, especially in the process. When, okay. When you know the the way that I started to survival was based off an understanding that special operators go every single day, especially in a the theater of war. And, and we deliberately go and hit the worst site. we don't go and go hey you know this guy is a bad guy but he's most likely not to fight we go hey what is the worst dude on the planet and let's go load up in a helicopter and land on top of his head and and we we often come out on top and, and guys are like oh it's because of the specialized training and all yeah that, that lends itself to success that's a variable. But the most significant variable is the process and how we got there. It's the planning process of doing deliberate five paragraph operations orders. Yeah. It's doing contingency based planning where we're planning for the worst case scenario instead of planning for what we think is gonna go right because everything is bound to go wrong. <laughs> right. it, it's paying attention to equipment and saying, what is the best equipment and what is it gonna service on this objective to make sure we're mission success? That's why we come back most often from those and we've successfully accomplished the mission. Well, if you look in the civilian sector of life, there is none of these processes. If if your dad even taught you how to be a man, he didn't tell you how to do a five-paragraph operation story. I learned that as an 18-year-old Ranger School student. But Mm -hmm. what I realized is in special operations, that that is what makes special operators great, is their ability to plan detailed contingency-based planning and then be prepared for things to go wrong because they will and then having the proper equipment and mindset to counter anything they're going to go uh, attack along the way. And and all those things are very significant, not just the running and gunning, looking
0: cool. It, it, it's more about the process. Man, nah, that was well stated. I, uh, I see the parallels even into my world, man. That's like, you know we have this whole conversation between, and obviously by no means as cool or high speed as yours, but we have these conversations between like bodyguards, EP guys, guys that are just glorified bouncers versus guys that are actually know what they're doing, and the difference really is process. And when Murphy shows up with a pick and a an nice uh, a nice pick and a baseball bat, like he's going to, like it's these processes that that save us it's like the process mixed with the fluid intelligence that you have from the maturation process of being there a couple of times, you know, and it's like being with a group of dudes who can flow with you, you know, or being in an environment where you just kind of know what you need to do. That's how you survive, you know, and, and, and then you got to sell it. You got to make it look like, you know what you're doing too. You know, there's that, there's that component of it. Um, But uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that, you know, and a lot, to be said for how that does translate into the civilian life, of you know, being prepared for these types of things that go wrong, which is our next topic. our next question is, you know, what would you say to the people listening, like the one, two, the ABCs of d- disaster preparedness? What would they be? Where does someone start if they're like, okay, so maybe something's gonna happen? Um, yeah, you describe
1: like you describe something that I think is important. Which is this balance of the, what we call technical scripts or uh, scripting. Um, and, and then what we refer to as cognition in the process. So, like, if, if you, if you want to be better prepared, you have to first understand how this works. When there's a disaster or a stressful event, how you operate in reacting to that, or maybe even offensively act, offensively acting towards that is, you use your behavior that's scripted. A lot of people refer it to it as muscle memory uh, in your action and in your physical movement. And then you use cognition, you think through problems. So if I was going to use a self defense example, uh, the example would be if you perceive a threat and the person goes uh, to draw a pistol, for example, and then you have criteria in your mind because you practice this that in defending my life, if I feel like I'm perceiving uh, the potential of deadly force used against me, then I'll use the force um, to benefit myself. So they go inside of a technical strip, they draw a pistol, they, they take shots on the on the on the suspect or the subject, and and then they wait until they are perceiving the threat being neutralized. So if if you think about that, that's two different things. One, that's a technical script that you rehearse, meaning I'm practicing the movement and efficiency to be be optimized for speed and accuracy. I'm taking shots on target, but then I had a disruption in my technical script because I have to use cognition or analysis to be able to perceive what I'm seeing and observing as being uh, what I – to di- dictate my next step in behavior. So I'm shooting and then I realize the threat is neutralized. And then at some at some point I'm gonna make a cognitive decision to stop shooting. Well right. people what people understand is they think because they see the Instagram influencer shooting a gun, that, that's how it works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it works like that. So then they practice these scripts because they they want to be like a robot because a robot is looks fast and looks efficient. But the difference between a robot, uh, which is, in this example, a a social media influencer who's just doing the technical, (laughs) is that in real life, you have this thing called stress. And how that affects you uh, physiologically is going to determine how much you think through problem sets and disrupt the script in order to make your next decision. I've seen the best trained special operators in the world hiding underneath vehicles in the fetal position crying because they were scared to die. So whenever I see somebody who's impressed with somebody maneuvering through space and time, shooting targets efficiently, I always say, yeah, I always say, (laughs) first off, that's not a real correlation to reality because what's missing as a component is stress. In In fact, what's deliberately extracted from that example is stress because it's choreographed, It's placed in a comfortable environment in which they're used to doing. And and they're doing so in a script where they're they're repeating it and they go, that's not good enough, let's do it again. And that has no application to real life. Because in real life, you're going to have multiple variables that are going to dictate how you operate. So in preparedness, taking those considerations, the first step, uh, step, which is steps one, two, and three, is sit down with people that you love, people that are your family, people that are the, uh, the ones that you want to protect, and ask mm-hmm. questions. Say to your wife, hey, honey, if somebody kicked in the front door, what would you do? And the mm-hmm. answer most often is uh, I- I'll use you, or I don't know, you tell me. Or "Or I know what to do, I'll kick some ass. Well, all three of those are wrong, because the answer has to be a balance of understanding what technical script I'm gonna enact, and then what thinking process we're going to use to make sure that we're efficient. And most people don't realize that what that is called is called course of action development in special operations. It's also okay. called game, which means if we want to make the best plan for everything that we're reacting to, let's stop, let's sit down in a room, and let's talk about it. Because when we talk about it using our imagination and our creativity, we're going to come up with the best courses of action by gaming. And navigating it to where we can actually implement a real plan that's going to address the preparedness. This doesn't have to be a self defense shooting. This could be a fire, this could be a hurricane, this could be a, a, a break in and entering. This could be anything that you want it to be,
0: but it starts with those steps. Man, nah, that's great, man. I'm uh, this is this is yeah, you're, you're dropping the heat, bro I love it. I uh You know, I mean, I I tell a story about one of my little Lance corporals were in Iraq and he's like, oh, we're getting ready. You know, uh, what am I going to do? What he says, he says to me, he's like, um, he said something about if we get blown up and I'm like, we're in an AO with 80% victim initiated IEDs. We're in the lead vehicle. I was like, we're getting blown up. I was like, that's going to happen. I was like, you just need to accept it. I'm like, just what I want you to do is think through what you're going to do when we get lit up. And if, if you wake up, you'll have at least some software that's written for what you're going to do. And hopefully you go into action and you just think about that and you chew on that. And we talk so much about, and, and, and what happens is we get blown up and afterwards he comes running up to me and he's corporal, corporal, corporal. I thought about what I did and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. And I was like, boom, that's bangarang, man. I was like, good for you, man. And it, you know, for me, it was one of those moments where I just start to realize like, I don't know. They teach us just to value logic and all these things and they have their place. But I think something that civilians and everyone really can leverage more of is their imagination around what can happen. Your imagination is like this ability you have to see into possible futures, possible outcomes. You can create reality, like everything you created, field craft. It all came from this, you know, that's like. Uh, one of the best tools I think we have that's not leveraged enough is the imagination, you know. And part of it's because maybe people aren't really naturally strong enough to go into the guts, the blood, the the ugly stuff. They 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 have a you shy away from it. I was talking with um, Tim Larkin the other day, and I was like, "What do you find the most difficult thing when it comes to training people?" He's like, "People don't want to train violence. Like they just." He's like, "I don't like violence." He's like, "I study violence because." You know, I want to be able to protect good people. And he's like, but people shy away from violence. But I love that you were you were saying, you know, use that imagination, kick it around, and uh, try to understand that uh, component of it.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know, we, we call it mental mapping or mental modeling. Uh-huh. And and what that is from our experiences in the military is called a rehearsal. That's it, it's either a truck slide rehearsal, it's a mental rehearsal. Even even when I was at war, um and we didn't have enough time to do a deliberate physical rehearsal with navigating our bodies through something that looked like the target set or the objective, I would talk to my guys and say, listen, imagine we're landing the helicopter. When we get off that helicopter, uh, at in the order of movement, alpha team, you're going to be in the front, bravo team, you're going to be in, in the in the rear. I would turn off the lights and I would have my guys close their eyes, and we would imagine that we're going through that experience together. And what's important to understand is this just isn't a mechanism for mental modeling, self-defense, or preparedness. This is what entrepreneurs use in vision and understanding the future and how to set goals. This is what Mm -hmm. performance athletes use in envisioning the win and then Mm -hmm. then modeling the movements or the breath or the stroke or whatever it may be. This is how the best people in the world map out their, their steps to success. And and the coolest thing about this, and you're and you're absolutely right, uh, especially when it comes to violence. The coolest thing about this is it forces you to to un um, like it, it forces you to unlock a mechanism of your brain and cognition, where when you start getting used to it, then the creativity starts to flow. Like I asked this kid in the everyday carry concealed course, uh, which is which is our Phil Craft course for uh, EDC pistol. And it's specific. There's an hour block instruction of just communication, and I'll ask Q and A. And I asked this young man. I said, "Hey, what do you do if somebody shows you the backstrap with your gun?" And he goes, uh, "I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I. Maybe I'd. Uh, maybe I'd pull the pistol." I said, "Stop. Stop. <laughs> Let let's definitively." And I want you to walk me through the literal steps of exactly what you do. And he goes, "Well, if I saw the pistol." And it was the back strap, I would draw my pistol. I'll like, say, okay, what would you do after that? Well, maybe I'll hold the gun on him to give him <laughs> a chance. Right. And and then and and when we're mental modeling this, I want I want him to extract all the creativity. And then we'll go, we'll go back to the very origins of it. And I'll say, listen, yeah. what you said wasn't wrong, but let's walk step by step of what you did and where I think it would be better for you to operate. And obviously, him holding a gun on a person—you're not a law enforcement officer. You're not. You're not doing it to mitigate risk. If you're drawing a pistol, you're doing so in defense of your life and to use it. So, I—I mm-hmm. I said in, in the technical scripting of pulling a gun and breaking shots. If you scripted that again and again and again, and you created this myelin connection in in, in your neurology, you mm-hmm. are literally going to do that. You're going to pull the gun and you're going <coughs> to shoot the dude in the chest. So, right. if you didn't make Cognitive decision um, to, to break that, and you just went off a technical script, you would make a mistake. So, are you going to give them a chance? Or, how about we don't draw the pistol until we're ready to use the pistol in self defense of our life? And he's like, oh man, I never thought about that. So, just the conversation is more yeah. important than sitting on a
0: pot range shooting holes into a paper, paper, which we all fall in love with because it on the ground. It you know there's just something about it, man. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like guys with balls. We just like to basketballs, football. You know what I mean? Just there's the dot. Can I shoot it? Can I shoot it? You know, it's one of those things. But and I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get too into the weeds with that stuff. But just the I mean, you see like the real world action stuff that I post on my on my account. It's like you never see anybody in a real combat any type of engagement doing any of the standing still shooting anything like we're shooting on on paper you know and i almost feel like i say it too often i'm like this doesn't look like any stance i've ever seen on the range (laughs) you know unless maybe it's some like actual operators going in to do something but even then it's always ridiculously athletic and things are moving unlike anything you ever experience on a range generally you know yeah i think the one of the important things in
1: neurology and understanding how things work And fight, flight, or freeze is when you're in fear for your life. You get a dose of neuroepinephrine; it's it's adrenaline. The (laughs) reason that is to induce and to incentivize movement, physical movement.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so, like when somebody's on a range, right? And we do we we do a lot of static positioning to work to work through fundamentals. But what I tell people is when when you're bundled in stress, because your, your your central nervous system is just losing it. You start right. shaking, you can't breathe, you suppress <clears> your breath, you get nervous, you have anxiety, you make mistakes. Yeah. Well, that's because all the cortisol and all the adrenaline in you want you to physically displace from a static position you're in to save your ass. So if you do understand that, if <laughs> yeah. you understand that more than likely in a circumstance in which you're confronted with Uh, uh, the fear of your life, which induces cortisol. Like the way this works is your hypothalamus activates your sympathetic nervous system. You're going to have this dose of cortisol. The dose is too high. It's (laughs) going to induce fight or flight. If it's too low, it's going to induce dopamine and it's going to get benefit. You're going to get benefit. But if you surge into this fight or flight, you're probably going to physically move, not even realizing that you have moved in that (laughs) when you go into the program.
0: Right when you drop into the program, that's true, man. That's that's good stuff. Uh, yeah, that's that that's that's awesome. Yo, so what would you say, switching gears a little bit, real quick, uh, into you know the patterns that we're seeing uh, here in kind of America? Um, I don't know, I'd say, let's see, as far as kind of around the conversation of Americans and 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 kind of the political season. I feel like as a Marine, I feel like I'm seeing certain things that resemble kind of insurgency type behaviors. Definitely an ideological insurgency taking place in here. Um, What would you say around that topic? I think I I feel the same thing, and
1: and that's important, right? Because the feeling we're getting is not just based off of what we're seeing in the media it's based on taking a lot of information and processing our experiences. And 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 you're exactly right, because what insurgency is, is an opportunist who's taking advantage of a vacuum. And so when, when you see people like Antifa, when you see Black Lives Matter, when you see NFAC, they're just opportunists, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's people who are like, and, and look, here, here's the thing we have to understand about every, every organization in the United States of America. They all have an incentive. They all have an agenda. And so right. when, when you see a, a group like Antifa, they're filling the gap because they see an opportunity, that's, that's just how they're incentivized. Now, right. if that opportunity and the and what they're filling doesn't have to do with criminal intent, violence, etc., then then there shouldn't be a problem. And and mostly there's not. But the problem you have now is all these groups, which are operating in a very decentralized fashion, but they're very strict. I, I say decentralized. Like all,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Go ahead. What I mean is there's like a whole bunch of decentralized units, but they all have very good command and control on the ground, right? Yeah. So, so, in the scheme of hierarchy, if you're creating a terrorist cell, you want to decentralize that cell because you want the abilities for them to fluidly operate and make decisions on their own. But in the tactical structure on the ground, you want them to be a cohesive organization that's moving very organized and fluid um, in, in their own space, right? So imagine like mm-hmm. it's a operating from the, you know, the main mother station. But they have all the guidance because they got on the mother station, and then they got they got their instructions and they went away. That's the most successful campaign in, in insurgency, counterinsurgency, and in warfare. Right. It's the reason that ISIS, uh, while Al-Qaeda, and all these groups and organizations throughout the world became a thing. It's because you know, the, 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 the guys who brought box cutters on 9-11 to take down these aircraft until thousands of people had instructions, had guidance. But more they, within themselves, they had motivation, they had purpose, and they had uh, all the ability to do it. The big thing that's missing in all this, up, up up until recently, was support. Right, because if you have a group or organization and mm-hmm. they're in certain, but they're so decentralized, they're so insignificant because they can't make profound impact because they can't scale. Right, it's like you know, it's like a uh, it's like a popular movement that doesn't have the ability to use social media. Well, right. they're only going to be so popular in their town and they're going to be hometown heroes, but nobody knows mm-hmm. their are Well. Now we have the ability for media, including social media, but now now more importantly, mainstream media, pushing a lot of their uh, the fuel that's lending itself to the fire, which is yeah. now acting as a recruit- recruitment tool, mm-hmm. which is providing logistical change and support to these people. So now we have dudes and gals who were just mischievous, And we're like, oh, these losers are just burning down businesses, and it's it's just some some BS. And then now it's like, oh my God, these dudes are acting.
0: Yeah, Yeah, purpose and funding, and
1: (laughs) they're gaining a foothold. They're 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 having strategic plans and agendas. I mean, when you have Killer Mike, right, a rapper, and you have the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, coming out and saying, "Black Lives Matter." Do not go in to these, uh, in, into the streets and burn down the businesses because 50% of the businesses in Atlanta, Georgia are African-American-owned, and you're only destroying our own inner cities and our own business. Then you're like, well, who are these people? Because right. if one in six protesters that are protesters are, are black, and it's black lives matter, and they're all wearing masks, and then half of them are in Tifa blended in, you look at everything and you go, "What? What the hell is going on?" What's right really
0: here? going on? What's
1: really going on? And that and that's the fear for me is you have a, a political system that is that is now developed the right strategy and tactics to implement the humanization and and weaponizing those humans into into civil society with no recourse, right? There there is no recourse for people burning down businesses and destroying because they'll just get bailed out. They'll get bailed out by an actor. They'll get bailed out by an athlete. They'll get bailed out by somebody who's just dropping funds. And you're like, what what is really happening? And so all All these indications make my sergeant major strategic brain go, something is happening here and we need to be prepared for it. And and I think it is a gross man-made catastrophe on the horizon. I think that's exactly what it is for me.
0: Yeah, man. No, I, I, I'd i have to say the same exact thing, man. I, I was watching just kind of the way that these groups were operating with regards to having, um, you know, the the, the, the people, the uh, agitators inside the crowds not even being really about what the crowd's about. You know, I got black people being like, dude, we weren't even trying to destroy anything. Like it was these like white dudes in hoods that run around doing all this stuff and, you know. Um, and seeing that kind of using these movements as cloaking mechanisms, the same way we saw in Iraq where like, you know, the insurgents would hide, hide amongst the people. And then all of a sudden there would be an issue. There would be an attack, you know, I'm looking at the kind of the way this whole thing's working out and the genuine people who are part of the, the movement are like, look, we don't want anything to do with this whole entire thing. Um, the, another thing that actually kind of, kind of really weirded me out was the whole kind of, um, I mean, the whole Chaz thing, you know, because I have family in Washington and they're like sitting there like, yeah, it's basically, you know, nothing like what happened out there, you know, like nothing like what they're reporting. Uh, and I'm sitting there like, you know, I had to call my cousin <laughs> who's who lives over there. And I'm like, yo, bro, like what's going down? And he's like, basically law enforcement left. They left. And now it's created a vacuum. He's like, we're trying to stop the police station from being burnt down to the ground. Uh, and they're making it to seem like we're trying to succeed from the United States. He's like, we, that's not even what we want to do. So I I worry maybe, you know, I feel like the media is agitating the whole entire thing. And I want to get to an America where people can just talk. You know, can just talk about their differences again, and it's not like you're part of some different gang if you believe something different. You know, I don't yeah, know. I think that,
1: that's exactly what I want to do with American definiteness. Man, is is I'm tired of look. There's 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 a agenda. It's so bizarre to me when I see intelligent people using CNN and Fox News as a means to drive home with point. Not understand. Yeah. The, the, the curator for the message, the person who is literally communicating to you has no incentive to communicate to you the real issue because they're reading a teleprompter, they're given keynotes and an engagement to a producer, and that producer is being dictated by the person who is managing the company, which which is which are a bunch of billionaires who are taking over the space. And so literally. When when you see these media systems going out and advocating for discontent and their and their headlines read the clickbait that reads, um and you know it's meant to incentivize this violence and And at the group level of who we are as people, it that's not what it is. I, I feel like objective news doesn't exist anymore. And I feel like there isn't an apparatus to kind of bring this close to American contingency, I want it to be that. And, uh-huh. and I'll be honest, it's probably not going to be that because I don't have uh, $100 million, that's why. You know, right. it, it, like, to compete with these organizations, you, you you have to be a player in, in this monopoly. And, uh-huh. and, and no small organization like mine is going to, to, to change the world, but we'll do the best we can with what we got. And, and, and I, one step at a time, but I, I want objectivity back again. I want the right. news. I want the news to report to me and my family what is going to help me navigate the world, uh, especially when protecting what I love most. I mean, if there's a protest in downtown Provo, Utah, you know, an old man, a sixty-something-year-old man, runs into a wall of protesters. He doesn't know where the hell he's at. He's just going about his every single day. But right. since the agencies have checked out of those areas he gets confronted with a Antifa dude who shoots him in the chest and almost kills him. And you're like, Provo, Utah, that place is like Pleasantville. And and we have these people violently attacking their own citizens just because their point is more important than the other person's point. It's like, dude, what, what are we doing? Like this easily could turn into Yemen. And if anybody has been to Yemen, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, the list goes on you would never act that way because you would never want it to be that
0: yeah no and that's something that i think is such a huge point for people to understand it's like i don't i know that a lot of these agitators have no idea what what happens next when people can't just have conversations and it goes from like you know there's uh a violent encounter of one, of one type that starts something else. And the next thing you know, everyone's arming themselves. And then the country erupts into something stupid. Like when you've seen these types of things happen and live in these environments, it's like, you guys don't want a revolution. You guys don't want any of these types of things to happen. It's, but you don't know what you don't know, you know? So it's like, I, I quake for America and that kind of, I quake for those that don't know, driving us into something that we've seen before, you know? What would you say about the um, about the whole kind of weaponization of of people? How well I would say more importantly, what should am- Americans focus on now with everything going on? You know, what should they really be focused? What do you? What would you wanna draw people's focus to? I think you know my my my
1: avocation mm-hmm. is for people to be human again, to be primal, yeah. and and I hate even saying that. It's so bizarre to me that. As a child growing up in a neighborhood, I knew everybody in my neighborhood. I knew the adults, I knew the children, I knew everybody. And I know who I could trust and I know who I couldn't trust. I know what road I can go down and what road I couldn't go down. And I navigate human terrain. Now, because of the technology that we're immersed in, we see a neighbor and we scout. It's the first time in human history that we become anti-social, right? Where, Where our interactions with people um, are an inconvenience, and so when, when I when I talk to people, when I when I look at what people can do, literally tangibly to make themselves set up for success. In the worst case, or even in the best case, it's start building your social networks. Mm-hmm. I mean, American tendency is a social network of people who are into preparedness, which is mm-hmm. taking care of themselves, taking care of their families, taking care of their communities. But that one commonality. It's not a religion. It's not a race. It's not a club. It it is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. So I want people to come together under that umbrella because I've seen the most positive experiences in that. Mm -hmm. But I would encourage people to to be leaders in their own community. You don't have to be a sergeant major in special operations to get off the bench and say, hey, I'm going to stand up and say that we probably need to come together. If you're in your church, if you're in your school, if you're in your, if you're in your family or your friend circle, you need yeah. to put people together. Be the conduit instead of being the resistance. Um, right. if, if I had a, a tangible example of people, what they should be doing, it's one, prepare to take care of yourself first and foremost. Health and wellness protection. And then prepare to take care of your family. Because when shit hits the fan, uh, the police probably aren't going to be there. Um, The military is probably not going to be there. You will be that shield and that last line of defense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more, man. You guys start getting your questions ready. We're going to dive into them. Start asking away here. Uh, I couldn't agree more. To me, I I remember uh, I was actually counseling with some very well-off friends of mine, and they, you know, they bought everything. They're like, we got the underground bunker. We got the this. We got that. And they're like, and uh, I remember the wife looks at me and she goes, but if we survive, you know, like the nuke and all the stuff that goes down, she's like, and we got food. She's like, then what? Like, what do we do next? And I just looked at her and I was like, you form a gang. <laughs> it's the only thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like you. You you're muted. You're, you're muted on accident I was like, you form. You got to join a gang. You either form a gang or you join a gang because manpower will be the commodity. It'll be the only thing. You know.
1: Yeah, it's your uh, tribe. Right? You, you have to. Tribe. What I tell people is is the found like the way that we line it out for Phil Craft survival is yeah. the umbrella, which is the thing that shields you in, in everything that is preparedness is yeah. your mindset that's often resilience you have your pillars of preparedness which is uh you, you as an individual your your mobility means of transportation and then your your bed down location your safe home but at the very base the foundation of everything is the social network because yeah. your network is a is accumulation of assets that bring to bear all the value add in the worst case scenario so the guy down the street is a doctor you better get him in your network the, yeah. the, The lady down the road who, who jars her own food, you better get under your neck because you're not going to do it on your own. You're likely surviving by yourself has never in the history of humankind ever been a good idea. Even though we think in
0: solitude as lone wolves, we could, we could survive. Uh, it's, it's just not how it works. Right. It just isn't not how it works. Well, all right. Let's see here. I got, let's dive into these questions real quick. Um, let's see. I've got, man, these things are flying in here. I just had one, Joe, how do you operate in a violent environment with, without indirect fire support, possibly as a motorcycle, uh, to outmaneuver. So how do you, how do you operate in a violent environment without indirect firepower? Okay. Uh, do you want to go ahead? You got? You got? You got anything for this one? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah. So, it,
1: it, it's multifaceted, and that's a that's a uh, very comprehensive question. Right. But the, the way that you operate in any kind of environment that's dangerous is having the ability to maneuver, especially um, out, outside of your own legs, right? When when you're maneuvering, firing, fire maneuver. Which is a basic skill set that you learn in the infantry or military yeah, yeah. is the most unutilized, underutilized, and unutilized skill set in the civilian space because you're never taught. Even law enforcement officers in patrol academies aren't taught how to shoot and communicate. Yeah, to be really good at at surviving in a high risk area, it's understanding how to break contact. How to, how to, uh, flank and maneuver and how to fire and maneuver. And the way you do that is having mobility platforms, uh, which include, uh, vehicles, motorcycles, snowmobiles. That's why we're very passionate about the mobility and fieldcraft. I don't care if it's a horse. Um, whatever you need to maneuver is the way that you're going to survive, especially when you're looking at no capabilities to affect targets
0: at distance. I think that's what he was getting to with indirect fire. Solid. Nice, nice, nice. Um, awesome. What would you say? I've got a question from Julie Schiller. I recently graduated from Homeland Security, um, major from Emberly Riddle. I think that was a typo. How do you think your degree helped your career? Yeah, so I have a bachelor's degree in Homeland Security and
1: Crisis Response, and that and took me 15 years to accumulate through various experiences in war and training. And it's one of the uh, best things that I ever did because you, you can learn from experience. And I was learning, literally writing papers on things that I was experiencing at war. But the academia has helped me in, in navigating, especially how federal response and how the crisis response at the protocol, at the academic level. Remember, all the things that I talk about in taking care of yourself is one aspect but to understand strategy especially federal governance and maybe even the world governance and how we respond or institutions respond to the crisis across the world is very important because you can still in the gap of uh, real life experience because you need to understand academia and 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 realizing the overall potential. The 30,000 foot perspective is what you're going to get or what you should get in getting a higher education or degree. and That's what it helped me with. Outside of that, I tried to, you know, I applied to the FBI, got accepted and I decided not to do it. Um, federal governments um, typically um, require at a minimum that you have a four year degree and that helps with that as well.
0: Nice. It gives you more perspective, essentially. The perspective yes, of all the different components. Awesome. Yep. Uh, good to know that it came handy. What? Uh, let's see. I've got another question from Anthony uh, Su-kin- Sukinon. What would you think would be the catalyst if a war broke out, and what factor and what factions would be the biggest players if a war broke out in our homeland? Civil war, religious, racial, financial.
1: Yeah, it's so take all those and just smash them together in a shit sandwich, and that's what you're going to get. So right, right. That's now, what it seems
0: like. That seems like exactly what's happening. <laughs> it's, it's and like really you have, can't pick one without being at war with the people on the other side. Like you can pick any yeah. of those, you have to fight everyone else we put in the other category now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what we're living right now is like the perfect storm, and, and yeah, the, the reality is you have a pandemic that has caused a lot of social dysfunction and discontent. You have social discourse. Um, you have factions with their own incentives. You have political factors, geopolitical factors. So let's take all those. Medical, yeah. Medical, I mean, everything that you can imagine is happening right now. What that looks like literally is a organization going out and demanding something. Then you have the law and order coming out in some form demanding no violence, no crimes being committed, and then you have the good guys or the other guys shooting at each other, and then you have people dying. And then what that turns into is propaganda, the dissemination, which will make whatever happened isolated viral. And then you'll see a cancer spread throughout the United States where where we're already seeing pandering, making violence acceptable. Now killing become the turning point where You'll see killing being acceptable. Then you'll have people coming out to establish peace and order. You'll have virtue signaling human beings coming out and saying, "Can we all just get along?" And then, and then you'll have this uh, this spin down of the cycle. And then ultimately, what you're going to have to happen to repair and fix everything is leadership. One of the one of the one of the absolutes. Look, I, I'm a I'm a conservative. It doesn't mean I'm Republican because I've I've I haven't voted Republican my entire life. I choose to write firsts, and so right now <laughs> what you're going to find is Trump. Even though I think he's doing a good job at disrupting and, and causing dysfunction or of uh, this dysfunction within a political system, which is disrupting the norm, which I think is good and healthy for innovation and progression. What you're seeing is the absence of somebody bringing people together in a unified way. Biden's not going to do Mm -hmm. it, It's not going to do it. So what you're going to have is two sides. And those two sides aren't definitive like the North and the South, or the good guys and the bad guys either. What insurgencies are, are the most dangerous thing that you could ever counter because they look like Just like
0: all of us, yeah.
1: (laughs) You can't tell who's the bad guys and who's the good guys. What I feel like is going to happen in the worst case is a lot of good people are going to die, it's going to take a unified country and nation to stand up. And the world's foreign service intelligence uh, uh, elements are looking at us right now and going, we don't have to do anything because they're destroying themselves.
0: They're going to destroy ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Literally, they're going to do And maybe we can come in and clean up afterwards. I mean, it just, yeah, absolutely. It's just going to be absolute hell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's tragic. Um, and hopefully we can wake up before these things get too crazy. Isaiah had a Isaiah cook has a good one. Uh, how do you effectively train situa- uh situations under stress or how do you use stress in training? How do you mimic that or get close to that?
1: Yeah. So there's a few ways to do this. And, and what I want you to understand is no matter how much you do it, the realization for me and experiencing combat, I have nine trips to war I realized that nothing I did in training was a, uh, the greatest perspective, or even close to what the realities of combat are, right? So, the, the the few things that you can do is, I relate stress, and you can relate stress to your, beat from the, from your heart rate. The reason that's a good metric for for measuring your levels of uh, in abilities for operating under stress is because when you're often stressed, because cortisol, uh, neuroepinephrine are flowing through your body, it's going to elevate your heart rate. So physical stress, meaning physical activity, could actually mimic in your heart rate, in your BPM, what it's like to be under physical stress. And so when you physically stress somebody, there's an optimal window of high intensity that's lending itself to performance. That's usually 70 to 80 to 90%, depending on a whole bunch of uh, characteristics and, and variables including mm-hmm. so when you take that 70 to 90 percent window where you see mistakes being made is when you get into a threshold between 90 and 100 percent, meaning you're mm-hmm. about to fall off the scale for the map so if you're hitting 90 percent, let's say let's say your max beats per minute is 175 beats per minute and then you're tapping at about 165 to 175 beats per minute you are on the verge of making mistakes in training. That looks like people neg- negligently flagging people. That looks at them. That looks like them mishandling weapons. That looks like, like them making bad decisions. And that's something that naturally takes place. So for you, it's how do you take technical skill sets and implement stress to assess what you're really made of, right? Because. Technically, you could be proficient on a range and shoot under, under comfort. But if I in, di, induce different types of physical stress and exertion, I should be able to scale and see where you hit the red line and then where you fall off the red line. What I want to do, the overall goal, is to increase the capacity to manage stress, stress, which expands the ability for me to keep and continue to operate before I red line. So it's physical stress. It's psychological stress. If you make something a competition, because most people are competitive in nature, they will, they will induce psychological stress. You take the combinations of those, a scorable target, the peers, their peers, looking at them intently, watching them do everything. Physical stress, at the same time, what you're doing is culminating and inducing uh, the closest thing that you can get to actual stress.
0: Heck yeah. No, I, I completely concur with that, man. Nothing else, really. It's hard to prepare for the real thing in terms of intensity. However, um, you can do things that will get you some of the components of it, which will give you some software to leverage once the stress begins because you won't be completely foreign to it. Yeah. Uh, this next uh, question I'm going to answer, then we'll do one more for Mike and then we'll wrap it up, man. Are you good with that? Daniel Rogers basically asked a question. He said he's got a military family. And he's got an injury that is inhibiting him from actually being able to, uh, join the military. And he's actually, he's asking, uh, how can I find purpose if I'm not able to join the military and not do the thing that I, that I want to do with my life? Um, you know, I would say to you, brother, and then Mike obviously can hammer on this too. Um, yeah, man, it's going to be very disheartening, but I can tell you from my my personal life, that the times I thought that I knew what I wanted to do, I found out um, and I was directed away from those things, Uh, I was forced to become more resourceful. That resourcefulness built more self-reliance that caused me to acquire more self-awareness. And then in the end, ultimately, I was able to arrive at something um, that really fit who I was a little bit better. Um, so the ideas I think that we may have, and I wrote a book about this called finding meaning after the military, cause it's what I had to figure out how to do cause I got out of the military and was like, everybody else was like addicted to dope mean. And like, you know, like <laughs> just came back from Iraq and felt like a Lamborghini that had to drive in a school zone or like someone's forced to me to be a vegetarian, basically in life, you know, like nothing was exciting or interesting. And I was like, well, geez, man, what am I going to do? Um, I I just want you to think about it. You know, Daniel, the reality is that everything you need to find fulfillment in life is in front of you. And you've got to really, really, and it sounds so simple, but wisdom is simple. You know, it's just not easy. You've got to figure out how to utilize what you have to start courting a purpose and cultivating a purpose in your life relative to what you can do. Um, You're not, it's not going to make sense at first. Um, But really the journey is do the best you can with what you have and you get a better best. And this process of getting a better best because progress equals happiness becomes the thing that really does make life worthwhile. And then as you acquire more skills and abilities and strength, you can serve on a higher level. And then you really bump into what really ends up being your purpose. But the reality is, maybe you'll have to let go of what you originally thought. I can tell you, I have a graveyard of things I thought I should do, a graveyard of things I tried and thought I would love and fail. It's like girlfriends, bro. Like all the chicks I thought were like the one and were like amazing, Ah, they've come and gone. You know, it it was like, it was like, no, this one's cool because she has the eyes and the hair and she has everything that one didn't have. So this is going to be the one. No, you've got to keep kind of working this thing until you become strong enough and wise enough to really realize what that is. And that whole process starts with you just picking something. You're not going to know what exactly it is. You're going to pick something uh, that you think you like and you're going to learn that you like it or you're going to learn that you don't. And then you just have to keep on this journey and learning that you don't like something is just as valuable as learning that you love something. Everything you learn, you hate brings you a step closer to what you love. If that makes sense. So I hope that helped. Um, Daniel, um, you know, uh, I hope that helped, man. Uh, you got anything you want to drop on that? Mike? Yeah. Give me now. Sorry. I had to unmute my mic. No, I, I think you're wrong. I,
1: I, I love the way you put that because it's it's so true that it is a journey. And, and what I would say is just to add what you uh, uh, put very well is you have to be willing to make mistakes and to get gain exposure. Life is not wow. what it is in a highlight reel on YouTube, right? Even special operations, like people think it's glamorous. Well, it's glamorous because uh, some producers and actors and actresses made it glamorous. The reality wow. of horror, the reality of Anything that you want in life, it's going to be a grind. And then when you make the grind uh, glamorous, then maybe you'll flip the script on on, on your perspective because it, it is the journey that's that's glamorous, it, and and that could be painful. And and so get used to taking chances, get used to failing, and I promise you that whole process and that and as part of your journey will make it fulfilling. Because if I look back on all the things that I tried and all the things that I failed and all the mistakes I've made in life, they've made me who I am today. And I will say, you know, me, me and Byron, we're both successful. We're successful entrepreneurs. Right. We're successful, successful human beings. But because we're having this conversation and you're listening to it, understand the reason we're sitting here in this position is because all the exposure, to willing to make mistakes and fail, and 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 having that journey is what's gonna make that life great to even getting to a point where you can express it publicly. Uh, I promise you that that that's the path that you
0: need you need to take. Yeah, 100 percent That 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 failing, getting willing to fail, that's the thing that weeds everyone out. Is that like fortunately, you know what I mean for me, I'm not I'm dumb enough to be like, yo, maybe I could do it. But I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try anyways. You know, I'm that guy, man. I got yeah, exactly. I got I got my other buddy who's the thinker, and he was like, "Yo, yo, yo, did you think of this?" And I'm like, "Oh, nah." But good thing you said that. All right, now I'm gonna jump. <laughs> you know, like, and he helps me. You know, but it's like after a while, you get inoculated to it, and that being willing to fail more times than the rookies ever tried thing, it's really that's the secret sauce. Everyone thinks you're so amazing. It's like nah. I just got the balls. I learned the rest of the thing on the way, (laughs) you know, like that's the magic brother. No, that's good stuff, man. Uh, Last question for you, Mike, Um, when engaging. And then I got like three closing questions Uh, when engaging, when to engage versus when to bug out in a mob protest role uh, in a mob protest type of situation. There's a question from Tony height high tower yeah
1: and that, and i still read valid. like
0: a i still read like a grunt don't hold it against me it's fine <laughs> we need these big block we just Yeah man some crayons. Write the questions and <laughs> crayons. Yeah.
1: Um, that's, that's actually a valid question based on yeah, what what you're perceiving as people running into these protests and look, there's a the mob mentality the mob period is a living breathing thing it, meaning yeah. it, it's different symptoms of behavior based on segments of that population, how they overreact or underreact. And so when you go if you run into a protest, there is all the opportunity potentially to break contact and mitigate risk. One one of the reasons we do American Tendency is because we, we want to educate you not to even go near that. You should never put yourself in harm's way. And so... If, if you're in this situation where you're confronted, by all means, break contact. Breaking contact is a tactic. It's not a cowardice. Uh, it's uh,
0: perfectly fine, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, faster cool. than you, foo, is like yeah. cool. You know I mean, like it's perfectly
1: yeah. fine. Breaking contact is the way to do it. And that, that's why we teach J-turns. That's why we teach uh, mitigating risk. That's why we teach flee in um, yeah. active shooting. We want, I want you to only use force necessary to defend life when you have nowhere to go, when your back is on the ground, when when your back is against the wall, when you when you are confronted with evil and you have no options. I've been there. Like I've been at the checkpoint in Libya with 50 cal pointed at my windshield knowing if I made one bad mistake, one bad mistake that my life would be over in a flash. The 16-year-old kid on the Dishka 50 cal. Um, with the- <laughs>
0: yeah like, like, and he's scared of you because you look like a like a, like a, like an astronaut to him. he's like this is an American he could just blow and kill me. It's like I know and out, and
1: those circumstances I've been in I, the reason I'm here today is because I use my brains as opposed right. to using force. Your what your best weapon I hate to sound stereotypical or cliche is your best weapon is between your ears. And if yeah. you use your brain, you can navigate that circumstance. I don't care if you have to let your, your vehicle burn down to the ground. Now, if it's me and I have my family in the vehicle, I'm burning everybody to the ground. I don't care what's happening because yeah. you, nobody's going to put what I love most at risk. But that's a decision you have to make based on the conversations, uh, you know, based on this input, have the conversation with your family, uh, have the conversation with your friends and establish what your criteria is to go
0: full bore, you know, what's your switch mm-hmm. to defend your life. Yeah, and make those decisions ahead of time. Nothing kills me more than seeing these situations where the civilian drives into the crowd and then they stop and they like, they don't really know what to do. And then the crowd like, cool. eventually yeah. breaks the window eventually. And it's like, it was such an avoidable situation, but there was no really yeah. like, there was no decisiveness. This is the first time your brain's having to process this type of thing. You know, and so you're not able to just navigate through the situation, you know, and and that I think is like the biggest tragedy and now you're getting pulled out of your car and you look, you kind of let that happen based on not making these like eight other decisions correctly. And I, 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 that's what, what really gets me with the civilian side of things. I'm like, you guys make these decisions ahead of time, figure out where your stopping points are ahead of time. Uh, come up with these, like we've been talking about, the imagination is really where the work's done. Even for us, private security professionals, I'm constantly running a risk analysis every single minute of the day that I'm stem now, period. But, you know, when I'm with a client, when I'm moving, I'm constantly running a risk analysis. I'm constantly looking at everything. I'm constantly taking everything in. I'm constantly playing chess with with uh, with Murphy in my head, just being like, so if someone walks in, we're going to go this way. I'm going to use this, this, you know, I'm going to take this blocking position. They're going to evacuate that way. The vehicles are here. Where are we going next? Where are we going next? Where are we going next? (laughs) Where are we going next? Yeah, I mean? Like you're in this flow and some say, you know, oh, well, are you being paranoid? No. When you have a plan, you can have peace, you know, and it's kind of like you kind of move through life and it's just another layer of um, kind of planning that should be almost happening. You know, next to you as you move through the space of the world. Um yeah, because a, what's defensive tactic and, and mm-hmm. what people don't realize in situational
1: awareness as having the, the forethought to think through problem sets like that and visualizing your next move is you're never at that point then reacting to somebody's actions, right. acting based on what you perceive instead mm-hmm. of reacting behind the power curve. You're, you're acting offensively because you've already made determination based on what you're observing, based on the navigation of your situation awareness in space. And so that, that, that mindset is that offensive mindset that's so critical and, and so important. And you learn that in the executive protection world. But if people just had a semblance of that in their right. everyday life, that's that kind of offensive
0: situation awareness. It, it would change the world for them. Yeah. And that's 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 you know where the whole protector nation thing is coming that's for me where the protector nation comes in that continued learning from subject matter experts on all these topics you know and that's you know that's my contribution that's where that whole thing comes in to play man because it's everyone thinks it's all about the running and gunning and getting boots on the ground and getting dirty it's like no man you have conversations with people that understand these principles, you can increase your, your IQ. There's so much you can do through just learning right here. Like we're doing, uh, you don't always have to go to the range. You can get the information, study the information and you can upgrade your game. You know? So, um, yeah, man, what would you say is your favorite quote or mantra? Last three questions for you, Mike. Yeah. You know, I have, you know, there's a lot of
1: things that I, that i i go through inside my own head to navigate the world around me but literally if i had to line out any quote or mantra the word breathe would be what i would want uh you guys to take away the reason i say the word breathe is important and it's always been important for me is because in the absence of confidence in the moments before uh anxiety takes over In in moments of bad decision-making, when I have said the word breathe in fear of my life and gunfights, it has composed me as a mantra to not only say the word inside my head, but literally and physically breathe to reduce my stress, to bring me back to earth. I mean, often when you're stressed out, often when you're looking for motivation, uh, often when you're in fear for your life, you're looking for something to hold on to and that word for me has been a, been a constant mantra. I mean, I've had panic attacks from my endocrine system that's in balance before that's activated on aircraft. I've, I've, I've been in the middle of gunfights, like literally hiding behind low walls with rounds knocking off the satellite dish above my ass. And that word, breathe, has, has brought me back to earth. And uh, it, it's super important for me.
0: Man. That's such a good answer. That's that's good stuff, man. Um, one habit that you think makes you a better person, you'd like everyone listening to think about bringing into their life. I think
1: staying conscious is, is super important. It's one thing that I try in my everyday life to be more aware of. And what I mean is being conscious of the ones around you you love the most. Being being conscious enough to listen. When you're running your mouth, be conscious enough to pick up your child and love them because you're too busy to be on the phone. You know, like we are so often past saturated and immersed in a million different things, except for the realities that we live in. So if you could just take the moment to be conscious uh, and, and, and grounded, and, and, and put down your phone, put down your computer, put down your Netflix. And pay attention to the human beings that you interact with, or maybe even yourself.
0: Uh, I think you'll be better off. Man, that's solid. I couldn't agree more. Uh, there's just so much of this unconsciousness. I think the reason that so much of this messaging and so much of the things they're doing to destroy our nation are so effective is because so many people are not conscious. They're unconsciously being. Yeah. Socially engineered into running off of a cliff and giving up their freedoms. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man, it's craziness. Um, Awesome, man. So what are you up to these days and where can people find you, brother? So, you know, I'm the CEO
1: of a survival company, a preparedness company called Fieldcraft Survival. So we're all over at Fieldcraft Survival, at Fieldcraft Mobility, the list goes on. That's a Google thing. Um, yeah, I'm also running American Contendency. We just produced our first uh, show today at uh, 1300 today with uh, my guest Kevin Owens. I hope to have you on my on my show. Oh, it would be an yeah. honor to have you on to talk Absolutely. about your Um But you know, I'm, I'm all over. I'm all over just trying to teach, mentor, lead, and uh, you guys can find me on my personal ID it's mike.a.glover. Everything that I'm doing is tied into that. Somebody had mentioned in the question I saw in passing about American contingency and what the vision is. But the yep. vision is bringing people together, teaching people to be better prepared and, and providing an objective news source, which is my goal and vision. That's a big, huge goal. Uh, but that's something that I want to accomplish.
0: That's that's what I got going on. Man, that's, that's those are worthy, worthwhile goals, man. Yeah. I mean, like, like there's stuff that's worth fighting for. You know, there's stuff that's worth dying for. Eventually yeah. you find that trash in life and you're like, yo, this is worth getting up out of the, out of bed for, you know? It's like, it uh, is. it's It's like a Mount Worth climbing, man. That's awesome. That's beautiful, man. I really appreciate that. And likewise, same thing with the Protector Nation, man. It'd be an yeah. honor to have you on here, you know, to teach a module, you know, and, and really talk about what it is you talk about, which is preparedness. So, yeah.
1: I, you know, I do want to speak uh, I will not let anybody do my protection except for Byron. Like, <laughs> I mean that. I mean that. I
0: appreciate that.
1: that. I know in the industry, in the space, and I know all the professionals that, that do what Byron do or does. Um, but there's only one human being I would let protect me because the competency, the professionalism. I mean, you live it, man. I, I, you are at the tip, the very – molecule at the tip of the fear in the executive protection world i've seen a lot of people do it and, and you do it right man i just want to say yeah uh, i'm proud of you um I, I i anywhere i go where i feel like my, my life's in danger i i damn know well that i could protect myself but if i if i know i need some help iron you're like you're the guy that, that's gonna be that guy i appreciate you man
0: yeah, brother. Thank you. That means that means the that means the whole world, man. That means quite a bit. So thank you. That's that's one of my that's my passion. So I really appreciate that. And then coming from you it means even more. Uh, and then likewise, man, you're you're ridiculously smart, bro. Like I could say, like I'm listening to you talk. I'm forgetting to talk because I'm listening to you talk. You know? like, yeah, I'm like, so you know, your your ability to speak and the way that you articulate things. I'm just sitting there like listening. Like I'm in the con- the crowd, you know. So. I really appreciate you, man. I I love that we have visions that are very, very, uh, they run parallel to each other. There's a lot of, um, I don't want to use the word synergy, but you know what I mean? (laughs) You know what I mean? There's so much there, there, you know. So I'm really excited, man. And thanks so much for spending this time with us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to thank, and, all the people that tuned in for this and that were listening and hanging yo i heard we had like over 150 some people on on here hanging with us um thank you so much for uh spending your time with us hope you guys got a lot of value out of it um i'm going to continue doing these live uh these live recordings of the podcast and getting questions in uh moving forward so that's going to always be there and um yeah until next time you guys take care talk soon god bless semper fi oh Well, (laughs) and one last thing, if you guys are getting into the executive protection industry, that link on the bottom of your screen is is one way to work with me and join my executive protection school uh, training day, executive protection training day success package. So if you click that link, you can check that out. All right, you guys, hope you all enjoyed. Boom. Yo, what up? I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Hey, listen, in order to get more out of the brand, I want to encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at ProtectorNation.com. We post different types of content on our different platforms at different times. Uh, You'll get blog posts, you'll get videos, you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that. So stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand. In order to support us, also go to ProtectorNation.com and Buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, Anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, that That helps us make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. And I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast. Out.